Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And it is November 13th, <laughs> and it's time to fire Chip Kelly. He didn't get left in the city of Pasadena like we had hoped. We did talk about that, and that was the hope. It didn't happen. What did happen, though, was we got out-coached, out-schemed in the weirdest game possible by Kenny Dillingham and ASU, and we lost. And I think if anybody listens to this show, and you listened last week, we said if Chip Kelly loses to ASU, he should be fired immediately. (laughs) And we hold to that. He has not been fired immediately. And we, I think... Kevin, we, we've been talking about this a little bit. I think we, we understand that SC generally is kind of the pivotal game, right? But this was inexcusable, man. Yeah, I mean, we could analyze this game for days. Uh, I think, first off, when we were down to our third-string quarterback, um, and you know, starting out the gates, we called six straight scripted run plays, which I think was... Probably the right way to go, right? Um, but then after that, we were pretty much a, you know, 45-55 in the whereabouts of like a run-pass ratio with Colin Schley at quarterback, um, which, you know, again, we've talked about what that looks like um, and what it doesn't look like. And it doesn't look like a formula for success. And, and UCLA, if you adjust the sack yards away in this game, ran the ball well, Um you know, I know people want to pick on like you know the couple of fourth downs and stuff that didn't end up working, but I think there that was just a problem of like you know ASU had scattered out on fourth and inches and fourth and one. They knew exactly what UCLA was going to do. They're going to run the ball up the middle with the exact same play without much creativity, um, and, that, and they, they stuffed it out. And on the other side, um, you know, the clear advantage for UCLA was going to be their defensive line, their pass rush. And so what did Arizona State do? They they pulled out the Pop Warner and the flag football and all sorts of other tricks that, that you could think of up their sleeves um, with the whole, you know, swinging gate offense where they just threw all the linemen wide so that they could basically just play in the backyard. Um, and and that, give, was, that was their plan, and it worked. Give Kenny, Kenny Dillingham a lot of credit for this game. I, I mean – you, you talked about us being down to our third, fourth string quarterback. They had a they hobbled... Had running backs and tight ends at quarterback. Yeah, right. They had a hobbled Borgay coming in for random plays. Yeah, then they had this dude, Scatabo, who is like a running back fullback or something. I don't even know. He's not a quarterback uh, tearing us up. They had all... It was, it was insane. And give... Give Dillingham some credit here for being creative. I mean, that is that's what you want in an offensive-minded coach, right? Not to be stuck in your own ways. Be creative when when things are are tough. And he got it done. He made it work. On the <laughs> other side, <laughs> we had we have the least creative offensive alleged genius uh, on the planet in this game, and it really, really showed here. Yeah, I mean. When you have personnel deficiencies, and ASU has got personnel deficiencies all over their roster, um, as a coach, it's on you to find out, you know, what is the absolute possible most that we can do to give our players a chance to succeed. And again, they did it. They they pulled out 
shit that you see in flag football, right? Um, and that was their only path to victory, and it worked out for them. And on our side, you know, we had Colin Schley, who we have seen throw the ball. Again, going to this game in conference play was one for seven for one yard and an interception, right? So, like, we've seen what Colin Schley looks like throwing the ball. Um, and instead, you know, because we just feel like, you know, plays we have to be run a balanced offense and we need to throw x number of passes to y number of runs to just keep a certain ratio um you know we we went out and threw the ball 21 times in this game um and it's also been shown over and over again that it's like literally not safe for our quarterbacks back there because like we our, our pass protection is 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 that poor um and once again Colin Shelley exited the game Chase Griffin comes in late uh, throws three incompletions. I, I mean, we can beat this the sword to death um, all, all we want. I think I think there's not much else to be said about the actual game itself. We we've entered dumpster fire territory here, um, and and it's it's sad that it's come to this. But ultimately, when when your job comes down to beating two and seven ASU at home, uh, just so that you can hit the magic eight win mark, you already know the answer before the question is asked. This is a clear. This game was a clear indictment of the Chip Kelly era at UCLA, and we were already saying this before or after Arizona. It feels like it's time to move on from Chip Kelly. Now losing to ASU at home, uh, and and credit and and we talk about home credit to the fans because there was actually a decent crowd at this game. Which I was shocked about, for one. Uh, there was a decent crowd. They showed up to the game to support their, their players. You know, great. You know, some people had a long weekend. It, it, nice weather. It kind of worked out in our favor. And then we put that clunker on the field. <laughs> and I, I think in some ways it might have been worse there were more people in the stadium this time. Because they saw that. They're never coming back ever again. Not at least while Chip Kelly is head coach. And I think therein lies the problem. We talked about this last week. Fan support, alumni support, everything just feels like it's in the complete dumpster. And that extends itself to this week's game, which is the rivalry game. This is the one of the most exciting weeks of the ga- of the year for you know college football fans and for UCLA and, and Southern Cal fans, we all look forward to this week. This is a fun week. It's something that you want to, you, you know, beat your chest or, around and, you know, talk trash, talk shit to your, your Trojan co-workers. And, you know, if you associate with them beyond just co-workers and actually have friends or family, you know, it's it's supposed to be a fun kind of week. This feels like the most depressing rivalry week I have ever witnessed. And that includes, like... During Rick Neuheisel era, during some of the, you know, bad chip or bad, well, bad chip, but, you know, some of the, the end Mora years, like this just, it just feels abysmal right now, man. Like to the point where they canceled the fucking rally this year because of alleged rain. Um, it there's, feels like there's no pomp and circumstance. There's just, it's, it's, uh. It's just a bad feeling, and it all points to one person. I 
And I'll say this. I think if Chip Kelly was fired Sunday and we had an interim coach, whether that be Danton Lynn or someone else, uh, going into this game, I would be a little bit more hyped for this game. I'll I'll say it. Like, I would be more hyped, but... Well, therein lies the difference between all the other scenarios you described and this week. Because we've had bad teams before, and there's always just this... There's some sense of pride and some sense of excitement going into this particular week. Every year. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Even when we were miserable and we were in school and knew we wouldn't stand a chance, um, there's always that sense of build-up and, and excitement. But... It, there isn't this week, and it's, it is purely because of just what the Chip Kelly era has been. Um, it has been six years. At the, I think you were 33 and 33. So what a, it's a great encapsulation in that you know, he's never actually gone 500 in a particular season. Um, there have been well below 500 seasons. There have been some seasons where he's a little above 500, like the last few years. But more or less, it's kind of the same rinse and repeat of, you know, hey, we're going to have a great Monday. Uh, and, hey, we're about books and ball. And just repeating the same kind of coach speak over and over, which is fine if you can back it up with results and if you back it up with some juice uh, in the program. And there just there is none of that. Um, at this point, we, we already know how, you know, most of these games are going to end up going. Uh, we're going to come out and Chip is going to run what he wants to run, whether it is to the players' success or not, whether it's to their strengths or not. Um, he has a, his set ways that he wants to run the program. Uh, he likely will not choose to play to whatever personnel deficiencies or personnel advantages he might have. Um, and then when the whole season is over, he is not going to go ahead and try to fix the, you know, personnel mismatches and talent gaps that we might have in, 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 the, in the roster. He's just going to go and get whoever he can from the transfer portal and then call it, try, try again next year. So we've just, we've seen this movie over and over and over and it's just been draining. Like it's, it's been draining to watch because I, the, for, for the longest time there was the hope that this was going to turn around because it's Chip Kelly and because he had all the success he had before. But Six years into this, I think you can see that this is not the offensive genius that used to coach Oregon. Um, this is not, you know, the the same head coach that ripped off crazy offense after crazy offense in the Pac-12. This has largely been the same person from start to finish, and that is someone who is very rigid, um, does not care to recruit, does not care for any aspect of program management besides just running his specific offense in his head and that's just where we're at chip kelly should thank his lucky stars that he had dtr as a quarterback for you know four or five years it is actually a miracle you know looking back at dtr's tenure here and the records and and the the play he put on the field for us his legs and his athleticism and his abilities really masked Chip Kelly's offense for for several years here and I know DTR was much maligned for a lot of UCLA fans I think unfairly so for much of it uh he's he was obviously a flawed quarterback but you know he he left it all out on the field and that that man <laughs> I think saved Chip Kelly's job for multiple years because those offenses look good and when you look back at it that's only because we had a very, very good quarterback. The other two guys I think uh, 
probably cha- saved Chip Kelly's uh, career here for longer than than it should have. Were were some of the O linemen guys, guys like John Gaines and uh, Tony Omafi, like NFL linemen that you know he kind of lucked into uh, that saved those offenses. And now we're seeing all the chickens come home to roost for not replacing those types of guys or not getting that type of talent. And again, that is all on the head coach. We have been saying this. Year after year after year, when you look at recruiting, the cupboards have not been full. They have been, you know, partially restocked here and there. But this just, this is uh, getting to a point now where you don't make the move soon. And by soon, I mean, it should have been like yesterday. We're we're just looking more and more like a clown show. I mean, there's other major programs right now making moves. Texas A&M is paying a $75 million buyout to get rid of Jimbo Fisher, who, by the way, has a winning record for them. Not saying he has been a good coach, nor does he deserve to stay as coach there, but he has a winning record. That is that is big boy football right there. Yeah, I mean, to go back to your DTR point for a second, I mean, if we look at just generally how the Chip, Car- the Chip Kelly era was was built up over the years you know he they, he felt like he had to break the program into studs uh which he really didn't have to there were good players at the end of that mora um at, at the end of mora's tenure that could have helped those initial teams but you know what you break it down to the studs very early on the warning signs were there that this is not a staff that likes to recruit um it it's not a staff that puts any of the traditional energy uh, into high school recruiting. And that manifested itself over a couple of years until the transfer portal came along. And the first couple of years of transfer portal, when it was still a relatively unknown commodity, right? It was just in the very first years. And because of the staff's laziness in high school recruiting, they went all in on the transfer portal. And they lucked out in a couple of very special areas where kids had left California um, and gone to other schools and they wanted to come back. Guys like the Zach Charbonnets of the world. Um, we were able to get some nice offensive linemen that could plug in right away and start for a couple of years. Um, we, we found guys, again, like Jake Bobo and such that could play a big role. And, and so we got some really nice players out of the transfer portal those first year, that's that, that second year, and oh, by the way, DTR grew into this a great playmaking quarterback that had mastered Chip's offense. And the instant that, you know, DTR left and those kind of real shiny toys that we landed, in some ways because of just fortunate circumstance, uh, you know, once they were gone, this year has just been a complete whiff in the transfer portal. Um, we, we've gone out and gotten a freshman All-American wide receiver and J. Michael Sturdivant, and we target walk-on receivers and Logan Loya over him. Because um, we, we don't have an O-line to throw well, to, well, and so the O-line, to protect we, the quarterback. We went out and got transfer O-line with the intention that they would come in and plug and play, and they are not able. They can't get on the field. And, and, and I wonder what they're like because what we're seeing on the field are the guys that UCLA recruited out of high school and developed through the program. And what we're seeing is that they're just not very good. The whole experiment of we're, we're going to find the, the, the big diamonds in the rough uh, that no one else can see uh, and they can come in and do the books and ball stuff, like that has failed. It's been an utter failure. 
Um, and now we're at the point where we actually might be ripping this thing back down to the studs again because, again, transfer portal is for everyone. Um, I, I would bet that every game that UCLA plays, like the opposing coaches are coming over and being like, hey, you want to come play for me next year? Like, I, you know that stuff has already started. Um, like, it hasn't been reported anywhere, but, like, I'm sure that stuff is going on because that's the world that we live in. Um, well, there's there's a lot of, of buzz and noise amongst the team coming out. Now, I don't know how true it is. I would take this with a grain of salt, but it sounds like there's a lot of players openly talking about transferring at this point. Uh, you know, you he- read the reports from practice this week. It's, yeah, it's, it does not sound know, like a rivalry, rivalry week practice. No, there's, there's zero energy amongst the team, allegedly. People are checked out and it it only lends itself to uh, players leaving especially in an nil driven world like some of these players are good players there's a lot of talent in here they can go get paid somewhere else and actually play winning football like i would not fault any player at ucla right now uh if they left like go with god Uh, we wish you the best we hope you can find greener pastures because Look, this coaching staff, and and by coaching staff, I mean Chip Kelly has failed you, and you deserve better. You don't think J. Michael Sturdivant, who's a freshman All-American at Cal, could go get a role at some high major, like, championship contender? Like, absolutely. You know, some of these guys could go find those kind of roles. And this is where the timing of the coaching, um, you know, search and getting it started is important. Because as you alluded to, right— we got some schools that are not screwing around here. Um, you know, Texas A&M, you know, in the macro of college football, I think what you're seeing is that, you know, the, these massive contracts that are essentially like, you know, pseudo lifetime deals that these coaches are getting are turning out to not be very good business decisions. Um, and that's where you end up with $75 million buyouts and such. But, hey, uh, Texas A&M is not screwing around. They're, they're paying Jimbo Fisher $75 million to go play golf for the next seven years. Um, and you're going to see other schools slowly but surely do the same over the next week. Um, like this weekend when after teams lose some games, like you're going to see coaches out. And that's really intentional because of the early signing period. The, the calendar of college football has just shifted so much to where by the time, you know, the second week of December rolls around, high school recruiting is done. No one is left. Um, and you parlay that with the fact that as those coaching changes happen, kids are going to be entering the transfer portal. Kids are going to be looking for their next destination. And usually by the middle of December or so, that stuff is done too. Uh, so it's a really crucial time. You, you can talk about, you know, waiting till December 15th and such for buyout purposes and whatnot. You do that and you're pretty much risking a roster of like 50 players next year. So for UCLA, timing is everything. Ideally, you, you like, what are we really going to learn from this weekend? Ideally, you, you'd have done it yesterday. Give yourself a two-week head start. See how the market evolves over the next week or two. And then get someone in and give them two weeks or so to recruit. It doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it's everything in today's day and age. No, and, and like I said, or like we actually talked about in last week's episode, yes, generally – Coaching decisions are made on the USC game. Like, this has been the thing for UCLA coaches for years and years and years. But 
Losing to ASU should be the nail in the coffin. Like you said, this game is not going to tell us anything. It is a rivalry game. Weird things happen in rivalry games. Win or lose, it doesn't matter at this point. Like Chip Kelly has shown us his true colors over the last six years. We know what we have with him, and it is not good. This game should not have any bearing whatsoever on his fate at this point. And if if Martin Jarman is coming and approaching this with, uh, hey, if Chip somehow wins this game, we're keeping him, um, that is the absolute wrong wrong approach here. And you know that's 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 Dan Guerrero esque, in my opinion. And that is not a good good road to go down here. It's it's. It's going to be interesting to see because it's also, you know, I don't know if you saw some of the stuff Ben Bolch has posted around, um, Kevin, but Ben Bolch from the LA Times has indicated that that $4 million, the buyout uh, after December 15th, may or may not go down. It's a little unclear on how it's structured uh, based on the wording of the contract. So, that December 15th uh, date might not actually mean that the buyout goes down to $4 million, which, if that is the case, we absolutely should not be waiting at that point. Like, that is way too late in the cycle. There, There's, there's really, at this point, and, and, you know, $4 million, $8 million, in the grand scheme of things... <laughs> We keep going down this Chip Kelly road. We're we're gonna be scrambling for for money. We're gonna be scrambling for coaches in in a year. So this is this is this has already gone on too long. Like he he needs to go. He needs to be fired. He should have been already fired. And I don't know why Martin Jarman is sitting on his hands, not doing anything about it. My he's only- been he's been completely quiet about it, which fine. But I don't know. I, I don't know what's what's going on over there. The only benefit of the doubt that I could give him is that, like, he's trying to, behind the scenes, like, talk to donors and talk to the boosters and such to raise the funds to pay this buyout um, and then pay for a new coaching search. That's the, that's the only reason I could think about for why we haven't heard anything just yet. Um, because, like... I, I, and I really don't want to hear any of this stuff about like, well, who could do better than Chip Kelly? You know, literally a monkey. I've any, been any, this. anybody could do better than Chip Kelly is doing right now because li- we have seen coaches with much less pedigree than he had coming into the job recruit way better and produce better results. Now they fell off a cliff, and that's another issue altogether. All but at this point, like, I don't even care what the UCLA football job opening is seen as. I don't really care whether we can attract like the top coaches or, or, or you know, whatever that looks like. I I would take pretty much any good coordinator or any coach that's up and coming that is willing to come here and work their ass off for UCLA. Um, that's willing to come here, put in an effort and work a shift when it comes to recruiting. Um, put together either a good offense or good defense. You need to be strong on one side of the ball in a way that tailors to your players' strengths and and are adaptable on that side. At at least you got to own your side and then can hire a staff. I mean, anybody at this point, like, I'm willing to take my chances because I think we've seen seen enough here. We've definitely seen enough. 
I guess the next question is who who would be on your short list? Well, and that's where I was going with this. I don't even know what my short list is. Like I think the names that people are <laughs> We're so desperate we'll take No, no, the, no seriously, like <laughs> I think that so, so the names that I think oh, some people are tossing around are like Jonathan Smith um, it's you know, obvious Jed, one, right? Obvious one. Jed Fish um, is another one who has connections to the school because he used to coach. Retread, right? Um, so, like, you're hearing those and like some some guys with the West Coast ties. Um, I think the perhaps they would be good. I would just say if it, Jonathan Smith is a great name, um, I want us to do our vetting this time. Like, it, how how does he work in recruiting? How does he like? set up in his overall program um you know just do our homework uh i i think that you could probably go out and look at coordinators i know people talk about you know brian hartline uh, from ohio state i i personally think that's kind of a a long shot because i I feel he might have his eyes more in more in the midwest than he would at ucla but that like that's the hot hot coordinator route um, and and boy, can he recruit? I mean, that 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 would be a recruiting gem if we got if we got him. Um, Lance Leipold out of Kansas. Now again, that's someone with more Midwestern ties than than West Coast ones, but clearly he can definitely coach. Um, so that's that's a name. I mean, so these are the obvious ones I think that that people are talking about. But but if I had to guess, there is an, a non-obvious name out there that could probably come in. Uh, and do a much better job than this. It's similar to how we ended up with Nick Roman. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Jonathan Smith, I think, makes a lot of sense. West Coast ties. He's built up a program that is, you know, Oregon State is a difficult place to build up, let's be honest. And he's successfully built that program into a very solid team right now. I mean, you've seen it over the last few years. They've been a tough out, and they're finally kind of – it's starting to pay off for them now at this point in the season or of his tenure. Um, and he's young, which is a, a plus side. I think, I think there's a lot of good things to like about Jonathan Smith but to your point. Yes, we should do our vetting, but I think generally if, if that hire made sense, um, I think UCLA fans would be high, would be pretty happy with it. Uh, there's other names I've been seeing thrown out that are really interesting. Uh, David Woods at Bruin Report Online threw out Glenn Schumann's name, the defensive coordinator at UGA. And what is wild about him is he's like 33 or 34. Hmm. He is the DC at the University of Georgia, who has been absolutely fantastic, obviously, for the last several, several years. Um, and the guy has never played football. To actually get into a DC role at a prominent school like UGA without you know having played football and all those connections that come with it, tell me that there is a, a lot behind his coaching chops. Uh, so again, we don't have ties to him in any way. He's you know from the south, but again, that's an interesting name. Like if we go down the quarter uh, coordinator route. The other guy I've seen thrown around, you know, Kevin, you're probably familiar with him, more familiar with him than I am, Sean Moore at Michigan. Seen his name, you know, people have been mentioning him. That's an interesting, you know. So the, an, so the general theme of these kind of names, uh, right, like, and, and yeah, I mean, I could I could do a big, uh, you know, uh, thesis on Sharon Moore, but 
but the, the theme behind that name is like let's go to like these top championship level programs right now like the top three four and go poach a coordinator um, exactly right and and i think yeah i i, I would be into that uh, I would be in if we can go find some nice some some Jim Harbaugh or Kirby Smart or Nick Saban or any of that and like and, and inject it into here. I would be for that. Um, you know how that route how 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 do we do that? Um, I don't know. I, I a lot of times in those places they're looking again in, in their region and may they may not be looking at the West Coast, but this is where like UCLA moving to the Big Ten does change things. Um, you know, the, there aren't going to be many better Power 5 openings because the Power 5 doesn't really exist anymore. It's really the Power 2. Uh, and UCLA being in that category um, does have, like, some level of cachet behind it. So maybe we can we can drive one of these coordinators who otherwise wouldn't have looked this way. Um, but but I don't know. You know, I, this is where, like, we have to see this search play out. Hopefully, first off, there's a search. And then we got to <laughs> see, you know, how how it plays out, you know, does, does Martin Jarman, because he is from that part of the country and he's worked in that part of the country, does he have some ties there? Does he know some agents and such where he does have some pull to lure that kind of a coach over here? Um, or are we going to s- try to stick on the West Coast to someone that might respect UCLA more? I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to just t- to nail this one down because, again, we've talked about this before. Chip Kelly, um, you know, when you when you get Chip Kelly and he fails, that comes with some shit too that we're probably gonna have to deal with, um, which is you know, the greater coaching community just saying, oh my God, Chip Kelly, he he, he was he was such a legend before and he couldn't win any win anything at UCLA without putting any research and any kind of attempt to learn what actually happened. Um, that's the kind of stuff that could hurt us with these candidates, and so that's where you know there's so much going for this job and there's some things that that you know might be against it that to where i i have no idea um and we just have to see how the search plays out i think there will be some semblance of that narrative uh in the media and and among some coaching circles and to be but clear, I, also, I, don't, I don't care i don't care that it's there but it's, <laughs> no it's i i yeah no i i totally agree i also think that that might not be as prominent of a storyline with him anymore simply because He's kind of displayed the same pattern and failed in the NFL in the same way, right? He, you know, famously wanted, you know, kind of GM and coaching responsibilities to manage the roster his his specific way uh, in the pros, and that failed. He kind of, you know, took a similar tact when he returned back to college at UCLA. That failed. There's a lot of parallels here that I think if you even pay half attention to Chip Kelly's career over time, you very quickly see that, that this might not be a UCLA-specific issue, but this is more likely a Chip Kelly-specific issue of why this did not work out. And so, yes, there might be some grumbling, there might be some, you know, uh, some of those narratives out, out there, but I, I, I'm not that worried about that nor do i really care about those narratives like you said at this point it doesn't really matter you have to rip off the band-aid and, and fire him and, and get a new coach regardless of what the media is saying because it's it's gone on too long uh so i i don't know like like you said we hope there's a search going on in the in the background some sort of maneuvering um 
you know, whatever back channels that Martin Jarman is able to utilize. I hope he is uh, up late at night, up early in the morning to get on the phone uh, with people in different time zones and make start making some moves here because this is this is not not fun anymore for any UCLA fans. I mean, you see it. We've obviously we've talked about uh, attendance ad nauseum, but you've you're starting to see it now with the most diehard fans, right? Like even us included in that. I feel like in the last three or four years, I've had waning interest in football on the football side of things. I still go to games. I still watch all the games, yeah, but I mean- like. Can I be honest with you? Like, this game was like watching paint dry this past weekend. Like, I was flipping between this and, like, two or three other games. Like, I was not watching every snap of this game. It was um, bad. And, and yeah, like, I, I never would imagine that to be the case. Um, but, you know, uh, th- right, right now, this is not a coach or a program that is serious about competing. Um, no. You know, and you're... You anecdotally now, these are obviously, this is anecdotal evidence, but you're seeing on social media and in other channels, you know, fans who have had season tickets from the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, very openly saying like, we are going to, we're getting rid of our tickets. Like, this is not worth our time or money or effort uh, if Chip Kelly is going to be coach and not not you know handling this program the right way and so that's if you have had tickets since the 90s and you have gone through a lot of bad ucla football at this point and this is the breaking point now you know it's gotten really 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 bad yeah and i'd also just say to as we wrap up this subject you know ucla has often had the rep and probably you know deservedly so of just not being very serious about wanting to put a very a a, a nationally competitive football team on the field um and yet you know you yes we we out and got chip kelly and such we've put up with this for six years uh if any this past round of conference realignment and such like if it taught us anything it's that Things can change on a dime, and schools can be left to die um, just in the blink of an eye. And, you, like, you don't want to be Cal in five years. Like, I don't think we will be. But, you know, like, there, at a certain point, it's for the good of the school that the football program starts to become more nationally competitive and nationally relevant. Like, we see the way this stuff is going, like, this isn't going to be the last round of realignment. There's going to be another big shift that happens in six, seven years. And UCLA needs to be relevant enough to like stay in the picture there. You don't want to be the school that, you know, is not competing at the highest level that it doesn't have your name attached to the highest levels of competition. Um, and so this is pretty serious stuff now. Like I, I, you know, I, I know that, you know, you can say, Oh, it's a, academic minded school and all that stuff like no like this this shit matters now because you don't keep up with this you will be left behind and now you will no longer be a school that is paired with like the top athletic competitions in in, in the country like it, it does impact the school as well 
Which would be terrible for a school that has such a long story tradition of, of athletics. I mean, top two with Stanford easily. If you're just looking at you know, championships alone, but just the history and the, the athletes and, and the names that have come through UCLA, you, you can't afford to completely dishonor that legacy by sitting on our laurels and not doing anything about it. And, and you know, I understand that legacy extends out from just not just football, but through other sports. But in today's day and age, the economics are all driven by football. Yeah. So all of that goes away if football is not successful. Like all of our excellent, amazing, you know, Olympic sports teams – all that dries up if football is not there generating revenue and successful. So, you know, there's a, you, you, you kind of point to it. There's a bigger risk here for athletics as as a whole for UCLA. If, if football cannot actually get back on the right track. Well, uh, we do have other sports thankfully going on right now as well. With that. Well, we also, before we, before we move on there, we do have a game this week. Oh God! <laughs> Real quick, I I feel like we we it would be remiss not to even talk about the rivalry game. Um, yeah, like, so I hope we win this week. Like, let's just be really clear about that. Like, I I hope we win. I don't want to lose three straight to SC. Um, that doesn't sound like a great time. Uh, would it be three straight or four straight? Now that I think about it. No, it'd be only two straight. Ah. Correct. Two straight. We beat them at the Coliseum two years ago. Yes, you're right. Okay, so I don't want to even lose two straight, to be honest. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, and SE is a bit embattled to uh, losing Look, this Look, it's game. the dumpster fire bowl at this point. It's Both the dumpster suck. fire bowl. Um, but, look, like, beating SC, like, that would unlock an off season from hell for Lincoln Riley, um, which it's already going to be that. Um but losing to your crosstown rival would just un- unleash a set of embarrassment on Lincoln Riley that that at least would salvage some uh, you know some enjoyment at least for the off season and such. So um, I hope it'll we be win. distracting from our own dumpster fire for a little yeah, bit. Right now, I I think the path to victory is you know our our pass rush and our defensive line has to dominate. Um, which is possible because SE's offensive line is a complete disaster. Um, it's 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 a complete fraud. So there is a pathway there. Um, on offense, I mean, look, they don't. They usually don't stop a parked car. It's, so it's a matter of if Chip Kelly wants to stick to his fifty-fifty pass to run ratio just because he feels like doing it, um, or you know, does he actually want to play to the strengths of? our players and can we not turn the ball over so there is a path to victory albeit i would say um you know i i would say sc would would be still the comfortable favorite just because they have caleb williams and they have they probably are going to at least get to about 28 to 35 um, which seems like a big number against anybody for us look i definitely also want to win i also just don't want to get boat raced in this game if we we are not producing points like we're gonna get boat raced and that's all i want to avoid first and foremost um obviously like i said 
want to win. I just think it's going to be tough. We historically have not played well at the Coliseum, though we did beat them last time we were there. I'm curious to see what the crowd for this game is actually going to be like. I think it's going to be fairly middling, so we're not going to be going into some super hostile environment. Uh, and I think it's a there's going to be some weather involved here. It's a 12.30 kickoff this Saturday in the middle of the day, but there's a pretty high chance of rain. I think last time I checked, it was like a 60% chance of rain at kickoff. So how does that impact you know, the offenses here? I, I would think just because our offense is a little bit more run-oriented, well, it should, should be. be more run-oriented, might help UCLA a little bit. It might hurt, you know, Southern Cal a little bit in their passing game. I don't know. Depends on how much it actually rains. But sounds like there's going to be some weather at play here. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just going to completely hinge on if our defense and our pass rush can uh, hit home and, you know, keep keep Caleb Williams knocked off. And I think the other key on defense here is do uh, can our DBs be really, really physical with the Southern Cal receivers? We've seen it several times this year. When you are physical with them, they are soft, uh, and you can really get get rat- get them rattled and, and affect their play. So if we can do that, yes, we have a chance to win. Depends on who's quarterback this week. Sounds like Schley's actually out, potentially. So do we have... Dante Moore back. Do we have Garbers back? Both are practicing. Chase Griffin is is there. Uh, who 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 knows at this point? <laughs> none of the none of that really matters when you don't have an O line protecting them. But we need somebody to quarterback. We'll see who who's healthy enough to actually play. Uh, and honestly, it'll be wild if somehow we win this game. Whoever's quarterback is going to be like a legend. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think if we played to our strengths here and we actually did stick to like a 60 to 40 or a 65 35 run to pass ratio and control let, the clock and control the clock and let our pass rush and defensive line kind of control the other side. Like, I actually think we would have a pretty nice pathway to victory um, in this one, just given how SC has been playing and just just given what their season's been like. Um, but I'm like about 5% confident that we'll do any of that. Um, so like, that's, that, that's why, that's, that's why I think ultimately you, I would, I would call SC favorites. To be fair, Chip has generally coached this game pretty well, uh, over his tenure. I mean, we should have beat them in the COVID year. We were whipping them. For three-fourths of that game, we, we kind of fell apart in that fourth quarter, but we should have won that game. Um, you know, there was the game where he he had Joshua Kelly basically run all over them. We beat them in Coliseum last year. Like, he's, he's played this game pretty tight. So, I don't know, and, and who knows, you know, there's obviously the subtext of, you know, can he save his job with this win or not? I don't think he sh- can, but... You know that's been the narrative. So is he? Is he trying to? Does he care enough to save his job or try to save his job even and actually coach his game? I don't know, but but to me he has done a decent job in this game at least from a coaching perspective. I don't know how that translates this year. Um, 
so we'll we'll see i guess on saturday um again weird rivalry week no no uh no no rally this year like both teams are kind of dumpster fires doesn't seem like anybody cares there's no pride on both sides i know i'm just talking about ucla here like the sc fans are obviously kind of empath or apathetic at this point it feels like as well so yeah it'll i mean we will be watching this game we'll be rooting for our bruins we hope we beat the shit out of sc as always but yeah i don't know we'll we'll see (laughs) all right can we talk about basketball now yes yeah there are some some positives to talk about here Saint, so we talked about St. Francis, and we're on to Lafayette. Yeah, interesting game, wasn't it? Uh, probably the first example of where the two-big lineup um, went up against a, a smaller team that was essentially going to switch everything and try to play bigger guys off the floor. Um, and in many ways, that's kind of what happened. Um, and, and, and look, we talked about this. There's going to be games like this in the early part of the year. Uh, like, this game was borderline scary up until about, like, you know, the 12-minute mark or so um, of the of the second half when we finally took that out, you know, went smaller, and then from that point on just dominated the entire game. Um, you know, once, you know, Will McClendon didn't get any points, um, but once again, had a good plus minus. Uh, Dylan Andrews, you know, didn't have a great first game, but this game, shooting wise, definitely came to play. And I think this was a bit informative in terms of the whole, you know, dumping down to a Dembona and let him go to work strategy. Um, didn't have his best game this time around. And this is interesting because you know generally speaking mick likes to have like one to two guys that he just really trusts um and he's gonna ride or die with them come hell or high water and i don't know if we have that on this team as much as i'd like for it to be bona um i don't know if he's ever gonna be like a high volume um throw it down to him and let him go one-on-one you know like 10 to 15 times a game I, I think he can do it and he can have a lot of success but like is that the best way to un- unlock the value of our team I'm not sure that's just given that what we have around him um, like we don't I don't know if we have great shooters but we have great good shot makers I think like Dylan Andrews has proven like he can do some drive and kick and, and, and pull up Lazar Stefanovic you know he clearly excels in like slash and pull up games. Sebastian Mack, that's how he excels. So, yeah, I mean, clear work in progress. We got stuff to work on. The two big lineup with the Daimara, I think, right now is at the moment dead on arrival because the Daimara does not know what he's doing on defense. I think we saw signs in this game of how he can be a one on one force um, at some point this year. Because uh, clearly he's got offensive polish there. Uh, like there's there's good stuff in there, uh, as we saw this game. But at this moment in time, the two big lineup uh, with Bona and Mara or Bona and Uba doesn't look like it's up to snuff because we're not rebounding well enough. Um, and when it's Mara in there, he doesn't quite know what to do on defense just yet. 
this is what I'll say about a dem in this game and and in general. I think we're going to we're going to see him really having to figure out how to be the focal point of the offense. He was not that last year. We're, we're, we obviously had a lot of other guys who were that, that focal point, but he was not that last year. And now he's being asked to do that. So I think there's going to be a, an adjustment period for him to actually figure out what that means for his game. I think he can do it. I don't think that he is incapable of doing it. I think he has the talent and the the uh, athleticism, scoring prowess to, to be able to be that guy down low. Um, and I think he showed in this game uh, some savvy there, right? He, he didn't, you know, wasn't having a great scoring game. So in that second half, he made some great passes out of the post. And, you know, just being able to do that, I think sh- it shows me that he is a guy who we can still run the offense or even if he doesn't score he can still make the right pass to a guy who's actually open i think the other thing that really impacted him in this game was to your point kevin the two two big lineup was absolutely broken we should never see a dembona and kenny nuba on the court together at the same time ever again what that was doing was they're both clogging the paint um you know, it was forcing Bona to play a little bit more out on the perimeter. So he was catching the ball higher, not down low where you would want him to. Uh, he, you know, there's a little bit too much of him having to dribble it into the, the paint. Like there was just no movement. He just, it was just kind of throwing up uh, their whole rhythm. And I think once you get rid of that completely or you get you know a guy like Mara or eventually you know Burke in there I think that 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 problem starts going away a little bit more because you don't have two guys clogging the paint and and by the way when when we stopped playing Nuba or another big with with um, Bona it just improved everybody I mean Sebastian Mack Finally had lanes to actually get into the the paint and score at the at the basket. I mean, we saw that kind of really open up for them. There was a lot more mid range game. Lazar Savanovic was kind of able to go to work there a little bit more. Uh, Dylan Andrews was able to go to work there a little bit more. And so, I know we're we're beating a dead horse here, but we should never see that too too big lineup ever again. The other guy I want to talk about in this game was uh, Ilan Fible. I, I, we might have our next Jalen Clark type we player, player. Here. He he looked he didn't score a ton, but he did a lot of dirty work. He he rebounds well, and that length and athleticism is a nightmare on defense. Yeah, I, I, we we found a player there, um, and especially if this too big lineup is not here to stay for much longer, at least in its current construct. We haven't seen Berke Vyuktunjo on the floor yet because of his clearance. But in this team as currently constructed, Ilan Fibule should definitely be getting at least the amount of minutes he got in this game, which is 25. Um, so that he can grow and that's so that, you know, that, that can be part of the rotation because he is a plus rebounder, you know, for his size. He's a plus defender. Um, he ha- he didn't score a lot in this game, but like you, you see something behind there, right? I, I don't even think this is like Jalen Clark early on where 
there needed to be a lot of work to even get to what he was last year. Um, I think there's game in there that can be unlocked throughout the course of the season if he gets a chance. Um, so I think that 25 number is a good number uh, for him because he, he looks like he can contribute right away. Um, I think some combination of, you know, again, Sebastian Mack at this point, I think he's going to have games where he's up and down. But he's gonna be a he's gonna be in the game for thirty plus minutes. Dylan Andrews has to be a thirty minute game, thirty minute player. Stefanovic looks like he needs to be well into like thirty five and above. So after that, you got Will McClendon, Ilan Fabloy, um, to split some minutes between. Jan Vide doesn't look like he's quite ready just yet, or as he's not ahead of you know both Mac and Dylan Andrews. So that right there, he showed some nice mid uh, mid range game though in this game. I will say, yeah, no, I agree. But that right now, I think is kind of what our our backcourt rotation is, um, and it's on Mick to find the best way in the early part of this year to obviously win games because we can't. Again, we saw what happened. We it would what, what a disaster this would have been if we had lost this game, um, and yet at the same time, like find the players who he's willing to put up with to just get through their mistakes in the early part of the year. Because like guys like Alain Fabloy, there might be something real special by the time we get to March. And let's let's be clear here. We ended up winning by 18, so it wasn't by the time we actually figured out the lineup that matched up well with Alain in there, uh, Sebastian Mack playing way more minutes than McClendon in the second half. It all started kind of clicking. The defensive intensity was much better. Uh, the defensive, you know, we really clamped down on on um, Lafayette in this game and, and really, you know, stopped their scoring. And we were able to get buckets. I think, you know, once we had that second big out of there, Sebastian Mack really went to work and was attacking the rim a lot more, uh, hitting his free throws. You know, Bona had a little bit more space. And Dylan Andrew, like you said earlier, was was really shooting the ball well, uh, which we, we need from him. And then, you know, Lazar Stefanovic really came up key uh, in that stretch as well, scoring some big buckets. But, yeah, I, I was impressed with the team at this, again, early juncture of the season. I think if this was... Mick Cronin's first season team, we lose this game. Even with the guys that we had back then, I mean, it was still such a new, completely different way of playing basketball for this program and for those players. I think we lose that game. I think the defensive identity and the uh, culture that has been set up the last three or four years by Cronin is manifesting itself a lot faster within this group of players. And it helps to have guys like Kenny, uh, who's been here for a while, for a while and, and even Dylan Andrews and Bona, who've played for Cronin now for at least one season. But, you know, a lot of people have been comparing this season to that first season, yes, there's going to be some up and downs. I think we'll see a similar trajectory where, you know, by end of February, March, we will see a very hot, dangerous team. But I, I, I actually expect this to go a little bit faster at this point because we, we see it in this team. There's flashes where these guys seem to really get it, and there's certain players that seem to really get it. I think, you know, we're seeing it from Sebastian Mack, like – 
that kid is a player, man, on both ends of the ball. And uh, I think he has taken Will McClendon's starting spot for the time being. Like, he should be starting and getting way more minutes in McClendon. Because it feels like he does a lot of what McClendon does on defense. You know, he might not be as polished as McClendon at this point, but he's still doing a lot of it. And he's obviously just a significantly better scorer. So just for that alone, I think you have to keep him on the court. Yeah, the only thing we got to see when we get to Maui against the better teams is you know teams are going to pressure us. Um, and we already saw Lafayette kind of adjust to our you know, kind of high-low actions and such. Uh, and so you're going to need guards that can get around pressure and, and dump the ball down low. Um, can Sebastian Mack do that better than Will McClendon? I think is going to be end up being the question. And then for Will McClendon, um, look, man, just use this early part of the year. Keep shooting. Like, I don't care if you miss every single shot. Um, I will care in five games, but, like, in 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 the interim, like, please go ahead, keep shooting, because there are other things you do bring to this team that are needed. Um, things like that maturity, that toughness, um, rebounding, ability to pass out of pressure. Like, there's functional things you do bring to the table, and so please just shoot. If you get the ball, look to score the, the, in this next game. Um, it's it's fine. Like, go hunt a bad shot if you need to. Just find a way to get your rhythm. Mick uh, Mick doesn't want to hear that. Oh, I know. And, and that's why this is you and me talking and not Mick. But, look, like, he needs to f- find a way to be comfortable with the ball and scoring um, somehow. Because if he can, then, like, then we got to – a player that can really help us through these early big games. How many shots did he attempt in this game? Do you have the stat sheet up? I do. You want you take a guess? How I many, I can't. How many did he get us? I I would say like under three. Yeah, it was two. Yeah, I don't remember any shots he actually attempted. I don't even think he attempted a three in this game. Like I, it was so completely lost in the rest of the game like his shot attempts obviously only two that's for a guy who needs to get his confidence back it's not a good sign that he is not shooting at all yeah and that's that's exactly the point like these are the games to try to get through that um like when you get to marquette they ain't gonna let you shoot without like getting some pressure in your face so this these are the games to try to try to get that off. This next one against Long Island is the try to the, the the time to try to get that off. Um if not, you know, Sebastian Mack, just get better at beating a press because you're gonna see it over there. Yeah, and, and Mack to his credit has not turned the ball over a ton so far. Now obviously you look at the, the competition he's playing, it's about you know, to I go mean, up. Generally speaking, we we've we've taken good care of the ball these first two yeah, games. We have. Which is which is pretty impressive for this group of you know newcomers and youngsters. So there's there's a lot to like about that. Now, again, the heat's about to turn up in a few days, but yeah, there's a good foundation being laid, a good habits being formed. I think with these players right now against these guys or against these teams that I think hopefully will keep translating, and manifesting themselves down the line, but. Yeah, good. It was 
a frustrating but good good outcome. I think at the end of the day, we saw some growth. Um, again, a decent crowd for an 8 p.m. on a Friday night game. I was um, hoping for more people, but, you know, decent crowds, more than probably I've seen in the last few years. And, uh, yeah, as we keep winning, hopefully uh, people keep showing up. Um to Poly Pavilion to support this team because I think they will be special in the future. Um, on the other side of things, the women's team has been crushing teams right now. and They, they started off the season at uh, four, I think ranked four. Now they're at third. So we're seeing some movement there. And the Pac-12 and, and women's basketball this year is, is wild. Yeah, Cordless so. has, has, has uh, gone on a tear in recruiting. And, uh, you know, this is the year to, to put it all together um, because we definitely got some horses. Yeah, we have a very stacked team. Um, we have another Hawkeyes who is tearing it up right now on that side of the uh, court. Uh, she just dropped like 30 points in her last game. Uh, 12 rebounds, I believe, has been going off. Uh, and Lauren Betts has been been fantastic coming over from Stanford. So we're seeing a lot of... A lot of good basketball right now at, at UCLA, so we're, we're, we're very spoiled. And uh, hopefully we keep uh, keep this uh, success up throughout the season. And we continue on Wednesday. And we continue on Wednesday. Um, I think that's, uh, that's all we have today. I know that was a lot. Um, you can always, you know, Follow us on Twitter. Tweet at us. We've been uh, incessantly tweeting about firing Chip. Hopefully the admin is noticing. We will probably be blocked soon. (laughs) Knowing uh, UCLA admin. So that'll be fun. But yeah, follow us on Twitter. Um, You can find the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everywhere else. Uh, Since it is Rivalry Week. I will end it with this. Uh, Fuck SC. Go Bruins. And we will catch you next week. Go Bruins.